Welcome back to Season 2 of That's So Second Millennium, the Catholic Science Podcast, where we look forward to the new synthesis in the new millennium between faith, philosophy, and science. Welcome to Episode 76 of That's So Second Millennium. I'm your sound engineer, Paul Giesting, bringing you Part 2 of Bill Schmidt's interview with Megan Levis, graduate student in bioengineering and speaker at the Society of Catholic Scientists Conference this past June at Notre Dame. The conference is at Notre Dame, and Megan is a student at Notre Dame. Convenient. It's always handy when that happens. So, in this talk, in this interview, they go through further into the philosophic details behind Megan's topic of growing <laughs> growing small human brains in the laboratory. And we wade into the further philosophic issues of what does it mean for our own individuality. We also talk, they also talk a lot about the role that the Society of Catholic Scientists has actually played in allowing her to network and get to know other people in the field, people that she's had very fruitful uh, collaborations with, and her own effort in a lot of different directions to seek a broader community of people interested in faith and ethics and doing her science and engineering in a way that's consistent with those. So it's an intriguing and inspiring interview. We're glad to bring you the second part of it. And with that, I will let them take it away. Thank you for returning for our continuing conversation, Megan Levis. Thank yeah. you. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. This thank you. Great. Yeah. Uh, and we were talking about the uh, talk that you gave at the June's um, conference held here at Notre Dame uh, of the uh, Society of Catholic Scientists. And you uh, spoke on uh, the title, uh, Created in the Image and Likeness of Man. And that really pinpoints some very interesting uh, moral questions that combine the, the forefronts of uh, engineering, science, uh, medicine, and, and religion. And uh, it sounds like uh, your five years as a uh, graduate student of uh, uh, bioengineering, quite busy with all sorts of uh, science and religion kinds of topics it that it's kept you busy yeah <laughs> yeah well i think both of them keep me interested in each other that's interesting um, where they kind of build on each other and you know the more i learn about science the more questions that i have in terms of um how that kind of interfaces with my faith and with si with faith and philosophy um and then you know i'll do a little Digging in the faith and philosophy world, maybe attend a talk or right. read a book. Um, and then I think that goes back in and informs my approach to engineering. Um, so they've definitely kind of been building on each other. That's great. And uh, quite, uh, quite a, a contrast to what's too often feared happening, that uh, the those two fields are drifting further apart rather than coming together in people's hearts and minds. But we talked about that in the earlier episode. Um, now, we, we started talking about your your own uh, presentation and how uh, it necessarily, because we're dealing with really the forefront of a lot of bioengineering uh, and uh, stuff that used to be just stuff of uh, science fiction, 
there's a lot of clunky uh, jargon uh, that that might be out there, uh, but it, uh, it's something. All uh, the the implications of what's being worked on is something that needs to involve everybody in conversation and and awareness. Huh? Uh, nothing uh, presents that more than the way you were uh, talking with these scientists and uh, attendees about some fundamental words, uh, uh, personhood and personal identity. Uh, how did that fit in with your presentation, which was specifically on organoids, organoids as a kind of precursor of a new kind of organism that uh, we're, we're, we're able to create now or yeah. pursuing the creation of? Um, yeah, so those questions of uh, personhood and identity yeah. definitely feed back into my talk of which it, the talk title, which is created in the image and likeness of man. So yeah. I was really asking questions about what do you do with something that was created in the image of man and not in the image of God? And are they different or are they similar? How are they different? How are they similar? Yeah, this is a big, yeah. <laughs> a really big question um, that I threw out to the group uh, with the talk that I gave. It's a very important question. It's a question that um, every time I bring it up to someone, and I've had many conversations over the past year about what do we do with um, organoids, which are multicellular systems built out of brain tissue. Um, what do we do with these brain organoids? Um, are they uh, similar to a human, uh, similar in the right kinds of ways that they would um, be meriting moral uh, moral consideration, or are they dissimilar enough? Are they? Can we basically just think of them as three D cell cultures? Right. Um, every time I have a conversation with someone about this topic, I get a different insight, a different answer. Um, I think there are so many pieces of this that I am still in the process of trying to piece everything together. Wow. By the way, what what is your own uh, current uh, research uh, focusing <laughs> yeah. on and how is it related? To yeah, that's a that great segment. question. And yeah. um, so this is a, a side topic that I was interested in that uh, relates to um, a good amount of my research. Um, so my uh, main project that I've been working on over the past year or so is building devices called microfluidics. Um, mm. So they're very small devices um, that we can grow things inside of. They can be used for a variety of applications. We just happen to use them for um, uh, growing cells and um, small organs. Um, we do a lot of work with fruit flies in our lab. Um, oh. So we grow fruit fly organs in these microfluidic devices. Um, but basically, they're like mini bioreactors, so we're able to keep things alive in them for longer than you could if it was just in kind of static media. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so uh, I um, have been working on this uh, really cool project to make it a lot cheaper and easier to make microfluidics for research. I see. Um, so actually, this project is built out of a collaboration with a scientist that I met through the Society of oh, Catholic Scientists. Uh -huh. um, I happened to sit next to Dr. Ontiveros, uh, um, who is at St. John Fisher College. Um, he was really the first person that um, developed this technology. He mostly used it in the classroom to introduce his students to different um different uh, fluid flow problems. He's a biologist, um, so he put cells inside of them, but um, is mostly in a teaching position. So we, um, through this collaboration, really took um, our method, 
of making microfluidics um, and brought it into the lab and tested it in the lab um, and found that we could use it for a couple of neat applications. Um, so one thing that Dr. Ontiveros and I did was we um, we actually got some organoids, not brain organoids, um, but oh. we did. We have put organoids inside of the devices, um, but primarily right now our research has to do with putting um, fruit fly organs and fruit fly cells um, and other cell types inside these devices. Nice. Mm. And uh, the the key issues that you raised regarding personhood and identity and all, uh, are they exclusive to the brain organoids? Mm. And, and it, yeah. you can explain why. I, I think it's about <laughs> yeah. personhood. So, so yeah, yeah, I think when you think of personhood, um, that leads you into questions regarding the mind and get you into philosophy of the mind territory. Yeah. Um, and when we think about um personhood um, and the mind and the body. Um, those questions um, are a little bit more easily defined if you're talking about, you know, um, skin tissue or if you're talking about um, organs that are not the brain. When you talk about organs um, or organoids that are similar to the brain, um, I think it gets a little bit more interesting because we... Uh, maybe like don't have the best understanding of the brain. The brain is an incredibly complex organ. Um, And, you know, going from a thought all the way down to like a synapse, there are a couple of levels of connection that haven't quite been mapped. Um, So within that, um, I think our understanding of ourselves particularly when it comes to ourselves in insofar as we think of, you know, the way that our brain works um, and the way that we have ideas. I think those are really fascinating questions. Um, And they're, yeah, particularly fascinating when you're uh, thinking about something that maybe like looks a little bit like the brain, but um, isn't quite a brain. That's yeah. So we are not even completely uh, clear as human beings, about the, the, the connection between the brain and our mind and our personhood, right? It's yeah. Uh, and didn't you say that there's um, a, a general principle among bioethicists that it's uh, the capacity for rational thought yeah. that is kind of the benchmark for whether certain responsibilities to the dignity of yeah. an organism, a person... Mm-hmm. Uh, kick in? Is yeah. that right? Uh, um, that's yeah. a lot of so this, stuff to conjure. Yeah, this definitely gets out of my, um, <laughs> you know, engineering wheelhouse uh, where I spend a lot of time talking about materials and uh, cells and um, things like that. But yeah, so this definitely gets us into the philosophy of the mind territory, um, which is something that I specifically stayed away from in my talk because that is not my expertise. Uh, uh, um, and there are many... Um, there are many different theories of the mind and kind of the mind-brain connection. Um, yeah, I will uh, clarify in terms of uh, personhood. Yeah. It seems like there are um, there are a couple of different components to that. So it's not just about the brain, and I think it's important to note that the person is not just reducible to their brain. Indeed. Um, uh, people are kind of these complex creatures yeah. um, where we have many, many different parts. 
Um, I guess the, the, the thing that I wanted to poke at in, in this talk is that it seems like um, the brain is a part that is maybe not as disposable as, say, a hand or another organ. You know, there are um, transplants of uh, very various um, kind part transplants, uh, lung transplants, um, but uh, a brain transplant seems to be getting us into a, a different territory. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that has to do with questions relating to uh, personal identity and kind of where the person is <laughs> if you do yeah. um, if you do something like a brain transplant. Yes, yeah. But it also struck me that uh, the idea of identity is something that is, in a sense, of a, a, a function of of the, the brain or the mind. I might be mm. I'm, I might be mixing yeah. those up in this case, but uh, especially I don't want to get into yeah. uh, the, the hottest topics of cultural, <laughs> rel- yeah. you know. But it all uh, the, one of the questions is what is human identity, or what is a person's identity, and is there a sense in which a person can create their own identity to some degree. Mm, yeah. Uh, but, and obviously that's not, an, that's <laughs> yeah, not that's bioengineering. A, yeah, that's a really yeah. big question. Um, uh, so what I was thinking about and what I brought in with this talk um, was individual identity. Yeah. Um, so that was building um, off of some work by a Catholic bioethicist. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, mm-hmm. um, but he was the one who um, kind of uh, posed this question of identity when we're thinking about um, organs that are uh, particular to the person. Um, so uh. Uh, with philosophy of the mind, um, there are a lot of people who are asking questions of where do you kind of you as a person reside within your body? Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's a huge question. Um, I think uh, of my experience, uh, both kind of as a Catholic and as a bioengineer, is that um, we, um, in and of ourselves, are um, integrated into our body. So um, I think that's an important point to be made, the fact that, okay, yes, you can have something like a heart transplant or um, a lung transplant, but um, at the end of the day, most of our experiences are experiences that we have through our body, um, and there's this very uh, powerful connection between our brain, our mind, and our body, Um, and so I think trying to tease those particular um, things apart from each other um, kind of in a sense is like very, um, very hard to do, but, um, yeah, these are, these are like really heavy questions. Um, but I think they're interesting because I think, um, all of us kind of have this within ourselves of wanting to know kind of what makes us individual, um, and kind of how do we work? I think that's, a question that I've always been fascinated with as a, um, as a bioengineer. Um, I think philosophers answer this from a different perspective, but, um, from the bioengineering perspective, yeah. Like how do we work? How do our cells communicate? Um, a good amount of the research that I have to do is, has to do with, um, asking questions of kind of how does a cell, you know, over here in this part of the organ, 
uh, know to be over here and not to be on the other side of the organ and kind of how do the shapes of our organs um, grow and develop. My gosh. So, yeah. <laughs> there are like tons of different ways in which you can ask this question of kind of like what makes us tick and how do we work. Um, and this is just kind of asking it from this um, interesting perspective where we're um, abstracting um, some of the pieces, uh, some of the essential pieces of what it means to be human away. Um, yeah, away from itself. Yeah. And, and you're asking good, meaningful questions about uh, the integration of it all and the integrity of, of the human uh, being and, and of the organism. Whereas um, some might say that uh, we all love and need engineers. Thank goodness for them. Yeah. But I, I think maybe a layperson's stereotype of engineering is sometimes that they're masters of uh, you know, making uh, uh, focusing on the separate parts yeah. of everything, and uh, making them making everything fit, and making mm. everything work, and solving the problems thereby. But um, is that a kind of natural conflict that um, someone uh, like you, who's studying engineering but from a Catholic perspective, has to, uh, uh, in a sense, struggle with that uh, uh, being integrative and uh, uh, you know, separating, uh, so for functional reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think maybe I'll refer you to Walker Percy on this one. Oh, so, Walker Percy. Great. <laughs> yeah, he is a great, uh, a great author, yeah. one of my favorites. And, uh -huh. um, you know, uh, in his book, Lost in the Cosmos, he talks a lot about how, um, in this, the sort of cultural soup in which we live, this day, um, we're always going to exist in, in some sort of tension. Um, you know, being a human being is not a very comfortable process. Um, things are constantly changing and moving, um, and it's transient. It doesn't last forever. Um, so I think, um, I think Walker and Percy has it right where, um, we are called to kind of exist in this tension. Um, and we have to kind of exist in this tension of, um, two different things that might seem like they're good um, or they might seem like they're the right answer. Um, but life is not so easily <laughs> reducible to kind of a particular saying or kind of the simple answer. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's definitely a tricky thing. Um, and I think Walker Percy has it right. I like it. I like it. Boy, it's nice to know that the, <laughs> the, the truth resides not only in science, but in literature and in all of the... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I will say I'm the biggest supporter of literature and art. Um, I oh. think that um, this is something that you pointed to a little bit, was um, that we tend to look to science for kind of answers to the big questions. Yeah. Um, but I think that uh, literature and art, and I will say literature in particular, um, allows us to engage with truth um, in a way where we maybe don't have these um, predispositions or presuppositions when we approach it. And I think reading uh, reading uh, any sort of novel um, does a really good job of revealing uh, to you truths both about yourself and about the world around you. Wow. Um, kind of in an un unexpected way sometimes where the truth will just sort of like sneak up on you. Um, and I think I great it. literature does that. That's great. Yeah. And now you're making uh, me realize how appropriate it was that our dinner speaker at the uh, Society of Catholic Scientists was <laughs> indeed a uh, writer. 
yes. I, I guess a Hugo Award-winning science fiction <laughs> yes, yes. writer. Um, and, uh, and so the, the truth must come for, from, forth from yeah. all well, fields. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we had um, a science fiction writer because uh, actually in my physics class in high school, uh, we watched, I think it was this movie that was talking about how a lot of great advances in technology actually have come out of science fiction. Um, uh. And a lot of uh, great uh, scientists and engineers are inspired, I think it's a great word to use, right. um, inspired by science fiction. And um, I think that ability to like wonder about the world um, is, a, is definitely a gift that is um, transmitted um, Sometimes through engineering, but also sometimes through uh, literature Indeed. and art. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I guess I should uh, uh, ask uh, about the society itself uh, in terms of uh, whether you find that a, a useful portal to that broader realm of knowledge, uh, because you are indeed a, a, an enrolled, registered <laughs> Graduate yes. student member of the society, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I've been a member almost since the beginning. I wow. was at the first um, annual meeting for the Society of Catholic Scientists, and I mentioned that um, one of the collaborations um, that has been incredibly successful. We've had um, Professor Antiveros um, here at Notre Dame two summers in a row, um, visiting and working and conducting research in the lab. Um, and so far, we've had uh, two papers um, that we've submitted. Through that collaboration, um, and that just happened through uh, Dr. Antiveros and I sitting next to each other at the first conference. That's so cool. Um, and just striking up a conversation about research. And um, so I think it's uh, a great, a great community, yeah. um, and has already been um, incredibly helpful, both in giving me the opportunity to uh, spend time um, thinking deeply about questions that relate to both faith and science um, in the way that I was able to do with this talk. Um, where I had an opportunity to just kind of set with the topic and, and think about it. I actually thought about it for a whole year before <laughs> giving this talk. Oh. Um, and um, also, yeah, forming those research connections. So there have been um, multiple good things coming out of that. Um, I also, this past summer, was at a conference with uh, Dr. Barr, the Great. president. Um, right. He, gave a conference um, at uh, Providence College through Lumen Christi. Oh, right. Um, that was on modern faith, no, modern science and ancient faith. I oh, think, I think that's the like name that. of his book. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, no, Chris no. Baglow's book. Okay, uh, hold on. Yeah. The, it was uh, a, but it was a Catholicism and science conference through Lumen Christi. Um but that was led like Barry, by, uh, uh, yeah. it was led by Dr. Barr and uh, Father Nicanor Austriaco. Oh, whom we yeah. interviewed. Well, he's an amazing <laughs> person, too. Yeah, wow. yeah. but um, it was an amazing uh, opportunity to get to spend a whole week with a set of other Catholic um, graduate students uh, up at Providence College hearing uh, both about um, uh, Father Nicanor's approach to faith and science, and also uh, Dr. Barr's approach to faith and science. And it was a small group, so we got to kind of have a good um, community of graduate students and um, also get to learn from uh, two great um, Society of Catholic Scientists members. That's great, yes. Um, so uh, in addition to the obvious uh, fact that uh, the Society of Catholic Scientists can help uh, young 
uh, engineers and scientists and philosophers of science, etc., uh, 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 really uh, deepen uh, that integrity of religion and uh, and scientific and engineering pursuit. Um, uh, as as speaking as a graduate student, speaking as a, a future member of the uh, engineering profession, would there be any other uh, suggestions that you would have for folks like yourself who want to advance in the field in every way, as you so meaningfully have, um, but um, but also to keep in mind these uh, these values questions? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that definitely my advice would be to smart start small, start um, in your own community. Um, I think the way in which we build a culture is through friendships and good connection. Um, that's something that I have loved about Notre Dame is being plugged into a couple of different Catholic communities and having the opportunity to, you know, um, sit in Starbucks across the street right? and have amazing conversations oh, about yeah. philosophy or political science um, or about brain organoids. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so definitely. That would take some uh, uh, espresso, wouldn't it? To, to, uh, from, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we all know the token drink of graduate students is dark coffee. <laughs> right. And plenty um, of it. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Um, but then also just. Um, uh, keeping an eye out for different opportunities. Um, so I know there, um, the Center for Ethics and Culture right. here at Notre Dame um, has opportunities and conferences and lectures where students um, at Notre Dame or students from out of town can come in and hear um, great speakers. Uh, I've been very fortunate to have an incredibly supportive advisor, so I've been able to uh, have conversations with him, and he's also been able to connect me with different ways in which I can um, kind of engage in the ethical side of bioengineering. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. And then there are a number of um, great centers across the country. Um, not every year do they ha- always have a faith and science conference, uh-huh. but um, I've, yeah, like the Lumen Christi one that I mentioned, there's right. also Collegium Institute um, yeah. s- sometimes has conferences for both undergraduates and graduate um, students. So I would just say... Um, the path maybe isn't as clear for a science or engineering student who has these interests um, as it might be for a humanities student. But um, I think just keep your eyes open. And I, my approach has been to have as many conversations with as many people will listen about this. Um, And usually it's some loose connection where someone will connect you um, with another person that maybe will have a different approach or different resources for you. So that's me. The personal connection is, yeah, very um, important. I, I, I've called the Holy Spirit kind of the great networker. <laughs> Absolutely. Am I right? And yeah. It, it, yeah it, so much can be accomplished just by plugging into yeah. communities. And, and I will say, like, for students to not feel rushed into any. Um, to having to do kind of everything all at once. Um, I think the the time that it takes to go through these things um, and to maybe the time that it takes to be connected with a community like the Society for Catholic Scientists or a community of like-minded graduate students, um, sometimes it does take 
a couple of years. Um, and that's not a bad thing. Um, and I think, at least for me, at least it has made me much more appreciative um, of the time that I have had to wait before um, getting plugged into a community like the one that I have here. Yeah, huh? Ah, but it's paying off. That uh, that should be my last question. Then, uh, wh- okay. wh- wh- uh, it's it's not meant as an interview question. Where would you see yourself in ten years, or you know, within twenty years? Of, oh, wow. uh, do you have any particular aspirations? Yeah, for that's a career? that's a really big question. Um, a question that more and more people are asking me now that I'm getting to the that's end of right. grad school. You, yes, yes, um, you just defended your thesis, right? Uh, uh, my it, thesis it, proposal. Your thesis yes. proposal. Yes, Great. so I proposed yeah. it, and now I have to write the thing. Oh. Fine. <laughs> answer that question. I think that my career will probably be a little bit of a charting my own course, kind of entering into things as the doors open. I don't think that it's going to necessarily be a traditional kind of trajectory. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that my approach until now has just been to do things that I'm (laughs) interested in. Um, And I think they lead to things that you're more interested in. Um, And I think when you're truly interested in your topic, you engage with it in a way that you do um, better work than you would if you were just trying to fill your resume. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And engaging with similarly passionate uh, people uh, through those networks you were discussing yeah. uh, is, is going to help discernment uh, yeah. all along yep. uh, into the future. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Megan. Very good to talk with you and all the very best of uh, of knowledge growth and blessings uh, growth uh, in your own career. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Thank this you. has been great. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. You can email a link to this episode at thatsosecondmillennium.net, share the post for this episode from our Facebook page, or you can use your podcast app's built-in sharing feature. <laughs>